Sometimes I feel like I need a vacation. Sometimes I feel like I wanna go to the city of cavemen, the city of bedrock. I'd be a Flintstone. Now I'll tell you why. Welcome, everybody, to Fear and Loathing in Cinema Podcast. We are back with another fantastic episode where we take a movie from the past, revisit it, and tell you why it's amazing. Uh, we've been having we were we've been on a roll lately, and I'm just so happy um, that here on March 7th we get to talk about this movie today. Um, first off, I am Brian Clubber, and I am joined by the prehistoric bunch that I want to live in bedrock with i got press stone barta and dan of time <laughs> welcome <laughs> how are you doing good i'm excited for this one yeah i'm it's, on my twinkle toes you're on your twinkle toes it's gonna be a yabba dabba do time if that doesn't give you any clues what we're talking about we're talking about the 1994 film the flintstones directed by brian levant Written by Jim Genowine, Steve D'Souza, produced by Bruce Cohen, and it was made in the Amblin Studios with Spielberg himself. Uh, cinematography, Dean Cundy, which we will get into, and uh, <laughs> starring John Goodman, Rick Moranis, Elizabeth Perkins, Rosie O'Donnell, Kyle McLaughlin, Holly Berry, Elizabeth Taylor, and so much more. This movie was released the very beginning of summer. May 27th, 1994. It had a budget of $46 million, fairly decent at the time. And it made a whopping $341 million, if not more. And uh, unfortunately, despite that, it got panned. It won Razzies. It's got like a 21% on Rotten Tomatoes. People did not like this movie at the time. Uh, and it's very understandable why they did not like it. Uh, but we're here to revisit it some uh, 30-something years later. And uh, yeah, so, okay, so 1994, I was 12 going on 13 years old in the theater. I remember this coming out because I used to watch, you know, those reruns of Flintstones. I think everybody did at some point the Hanna-Barbera um, show. And... I just remember, okay, Jurassic Park is coming out. Jurassic Park came out. I saw it nine times in the theater when it first came out. And then all of a sudden you're seeing trailers for like Spielberg is presenting a new movie, The Flintstones, and it shows dinosaurs. Uh, and we'll get into that as like the first opening shot of that. Uh, and I remember 
being as a kid, I was like, yeah, that was fine. That was fun. It looked cool. Maybe the story was okay, but I'm 12 or 13. I didn't mess about with that stuff. Yeah. I was just enjoying it. You didn't it. know what embezzlements were? Right, right. I didn't know. I mean, I knew like something was going wrong and that guy was evil about money, but uh, I don't know. So <laughs> overall, I think back then I enjoyed it. Like I, I think the visuals of this movie and how it was shot and all the cutesy stuff back then when I was little, I enjoyed. Uh, Preston, what about you? Uh, pretty much exactly what you were said about like the the train of what led you to the movie. I was four when this came out, but I did <laughs> see Jurassic Park in theaters, that being my first movie I ever saw in theaters. And so I was interested in the same because of the Spielberg name. I think they in the advertising it had Jurassic Park dinosaurs that's exactly what led me to that i don't even think i had too much knowledge of the original cartoon at the time so this was my introduction to the flintstones and yeah yeah i i mean i was four what what did i know um i enjoyed it when i was four um and i still enjoy it in moderation now all right all right and dan Tell me your little background with uh, with the town of Bedrock Flintstones live action. I have no recollection of seeing this in the theater, but I completely recall renting it, owning it, and watching it many times. Which, looking looking at it now through the eyes of my age, is is shocking to me because I don't know truly how I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, <laughs> just based on like I don't, there's no chance I had any idea what was going on start to finish of this movie when i was seven eight nine years old like uh, it's it's dense for well it's well it's dense but it also really plays two little kids although kind of the storyline it has you know the infidelity it has the the workplace you know kids don't really understand that but maybe at some point there's a little there there's like a mix of that where you know, they do have like the throwbacks and the the sound effects and Dino, you know, licking everybody's face, the, the family dog dinosaur and stuff like that. I just think that uh, it, it, we'll get into this. First off, we have to, you know, address the dinosaur in the room, which makes me laugh every time when the movie starts, you know, it says uh steven spielrock you know spielberg presents and then it has the image of the dinosaur you know and i'm just yes. like perfect because this came out a year after not even a year after jurassic park which made me laugh i mean y'all noticed that right oh, oh yeah and then, and then the universe shell yeah yes. and the, and the, the universe shell i mean it's and with that there's so many little puns visual puns verbal puns that are in this movie that might take it over the line because it's so much uh i actually didn't mind it right but that's part of the show too it's fun to see like they live like us in modern times but it's all you know in prehistoric times so it's fun to see like how the bird you know plays the record player it's fun to see how the elephant or the saber tooth or whatever you know does the kitchen sink and cut the grass Right, yes. with the like the little crab. It's fun to see that. And in live action, I mean, this movie looks gorgeous. Like, it's yes. 
we we will we will get into the cinematography later because the the cinematographer here has done just some of the greatest movies ever. Um, but first, <laughs> let's let let's talk about kind of the behind the scenes first, just because it's insane to me where it landed, how it landed, who they cast when they had all of these people in charge. Because I guess the script for this was going around. Spielberg and Amblin had it, and. At some point before Jurassic Park and when Spielberg worked with John Goodman in Always, he wanted him to play Fred Flintstone. He's like, you will be perfect. And so that kind of came into play. But so many actors, so many actresses were looked at, were offered the roles for every part. And almost nobody was offered the part that actually ended up in it. Uh, to be first off. And that crazy to me. I mean, it's very rare that that happens. I mean, Preston, do you think this movie would have worked better with John Candy, with Chevy Chase, with Dan Aykroyd being in as Fred Flintstone? Or do you think John Goodman owns it? Um, I think John Goodman, I mean, looking from looking at it from like a paper view, it's, just seems like perfect casting and i think john goodman holds his own pretty well where he does quite a few of the signature things that fred flintstone does quite well but there's a couple of moments where you can just feel the writing holding him back and so i don't know i'm not familiar with like john goodman's process but i feel like john candy probably would have went more off script and had fun so those three probably would have had more memorable lines in it but there's so many other aspects that we're probably going to talk even more about that we've already touched on that end up being the greatest strengths of the show oh. of the movie and i would say that the acting and script so much are not it um but i think john Gibman does fine i think rick moranis does a good job i feel like everybody does their their parts well but it right. could have been more memorable within their wheelhouse. Dan, um, what do you think about the John, the John Goodman thing? And uh, do you do you believe firmly that this is a prequel to the Big Lebowski, John Goodman <laughs> style? <laughs> now that he's, a, he's a good bowler Market and a Zero. good man. Yeah, <laughs> it's a pre, it's a pre, pre, it's a prehistoric prequel. Yes, to to it. Um, I can't picture anyone else in the role. I couldn't picture. But I read, I think it was on Wikipedia or something that maybe even Bill Murray was brought up um, for Fred Flintstone. And I just think John Goodman has the ability to, yes, the movie is goofy. Yes, it's over the top. But he also has some moments in this movie where he has to be kind of serious or I don't want to say action based, but um, use some of his physicality that I don't I couldn't see any of the other actors that you guys have mentioned really pulling off. And so he's just he looks like he looks like Fred Flintstone. Right, he, he does. Really does. But he Rick, does Rick Moranis didn't look like Barney, Barney to me yeah. as a normal actor, but with the hair color and everything, I was like, Oh, there he is. So that's true. Right. And you know what? With Barney Rubble, they offered Danny DeVito Barney Rubble and to give you a, a background of Danny DeVito, this guy is one of the biggest geniuses in Hollywood, like creatively, like this dude knows. What, yeah, he knows how to produce. He knows how to direct. He knows what movies to get involved with. 
And Danny, you know, was offered this role, this big budget role. And he's like, dude, I'm too gruff. This is not for me. But how about Rick Moranis? You know, he suggested Rick for the role. And, you know, when you start to think about, you know, Rick Moranis and John Candy, who had worked together previously a lot, um, it just it made sense, even though John Candy didn't get the role. Um, Rick Moranis brings that his charm to it. And, you know, it's sad that Rick Moranis doesn't do acting anymore because he's just so wonderful in everything he does. But he, I, I, I bought uh, Rick Moranis in the role. I think they wanted that kind of scrawnier, smaller guy to really um, get John Goodman up there. Yeah. It's the sweetness of Rick Moranis that they were casting more than his, like Preston said, they figured out throw a wig on him. I think he's got some sort of eye thing going on because I don't remember his eyes looking like that in other movies. Maybe I'm wrong because he's normally behind glasses. Yeah. But um, but yeah, no, it, I think they were definitely casting for the sweetness to juxtapose with what they had in John Goodman, which is, he was just a, he's a force. Mm-hmm. He, he's a, and action. I mean, and acting. He's a force of nature. And then you, have, of course, you have Wilma Elizabeth Perkins, who you would be known as the love interest in Big. You yes. have Rosie O'Donnell, you know, which I think there was tons of people up for both of these roles, including uh, Nicole Kidman and just Gina Davis, tons of people. Um, and I think Rosie O'Donnell got it for the signature laugh that um, Betty Rubble does. Mm-hmm. And they all do a great job. Um, and then, of course, Kyle McLaughlin. That's why, right? Mm-hmm. Kyle McLaughlin is yep. fantastic in his role. And then Secretary Sharon Stone, played by Holly Berry. This Sharon Stone was offered, the real Sharon Stone was offered the role of Sharon Stone in this movie, but she turned it down because she had a prior uh, filming commitment. Uh, and it went to Holly Berry. Yeah, what, what was it, Casino? Could have been. I think that was 95. Yeah, so, so if it was Casino, I, she won the Oscar for that. So <laughs> I gotta be honest, it is really funny to me looking through it that they couldn't figure out a way. They just kept the character's name as Sharon Stone. Which it makes Halle Berry player. They didn't have they didn't like do a pun on Halle Berry's name. They were like, screw it, guys, listen, we've gone back to the well a thousand. I could just picture a writer's room just like we've gone too far. <laughs> well, I think at the time Sharon Stone, no, everybody knew her from basic instinct, and it yeah. had to be that that thing I was like oh it's stone no they're all the puns so i think the cast here really came together and it the, i mean when you think of the flintstones live action you picture them you know in those roles and it's it's great that they really did a good job so with that being said this is based off a hanna barbera cartoon it's it's full of the puns it's full of the funny jokes it is for kids preston how does this translate? How did this translate to a live action feature film? Do you think that they went and leaned too much into the kids and silliness? Did, did it work? Did it work back then? Were people looking for the darkness or a more adult or a mix of kids and adult? Or did you think that it just leaned into the silliness and that's why people really didn't like it? Um, I mean, it works. It works for me, especially watching it now. I, I think there's quite a few clever jokes in there. I think you tackled it well with the visual gags and there's a couple of puns here and there that even weaves into their language. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what the, the mindset was at the time that maybe coming off of 
thinking about Spielberg and Jurassic Park and how serious that film is, but also just how fun and lighthearted the Flintstone TV show. It's, I mean, it's, it's a mountain to put a pun of my own there to (laughs) get over. And I, I think they do it pretty well. I think it's still, there's some movies that you can watch that are PG that from, from the nineties or 30, 30 plus years ago. And there's moments in it where I'm like, I don't feel quite comfortable showing that to my kid. Um, but for the most part, I think it's just, everything's good natured. Uh, there's a pleasant nature to it all. And so I didn't, I didn't mind it. I didn't feel like they stepped too over. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, Dan, do you agree with that? Or do you tend to think like, oh, this is too silly for me, even nowadays? Oh, it's definitely silly. I just think this seems to be a recurring theme in our in our lovely podcast that we have here. But this was another movie where I don't know if I'm just I watch a lot of kids movies now with my kids and they are not dealing with, yeah. as Preston said earlier, embezzlement, <laughs> um, <laughs> union busting, the on the ongoing saga of work riots. And, you know, like that stuff, I'm sure if you really did a deep dive, but this was just all on the surface. I mean, also a, a lot of movies these days don't have the the um, husband, you know, threatening to beat up the mother-in-law <laughs> like, which is one of my favorite gags in the whole thing right, right. I, th- I thought the favorite gag was like I, I gotta think of something how to save these kids and then like his mind his little cloud bubble goes yeah. to the mother-in-law being eaten by a dinosaur and he laughs <laughs> like that was great to me oh no it's so funny but I'm just saying these just aren't things that aren't in the kids movies at least I'm watching and it just and so I just think it's another thing that was kind of all over the place and then you've got the goofy but the goofy parts of it, but yeah, it works. It works in spurts for me, for sure. For I did spurts. not, I okay. did not hate my experience of watching this at all. Yeah. Like it could have been, I was worried watching it. I was like, Oh, is Fred a little meaner than I remember? Like with his treatment towards his wife and like keeping the secrets. And I was like, Oh, but he did it for a good reason. Like still he has his shady dealings where he, you know, likes to go bowling, spend money on all that stuff. And he keeps those secrets away from his wife. But for the most part, I was like, yeah, I under, I mean, I get, I get him. I get like, everybody's trying to help each other. And a lot of those deeper things that can be picked up by adults, like there's enough there for a child to understand it and being like, Oh yeah, that that bad guy's doing bad guy stuff, right. and so that I I can grasp it all, and I, I don't think it's too much to handle for everyone. Yeah, I didn't think it was too much, and I think that they keep it a lot simpler. Even though those those elements are going on, I think they keep it focused for kids. In that, like, okay, John Goodman. Fred Flintstone is mad at his friend. He's doing something to, you know, yeah. screw over his friend. And then his colleagues that are his friends that throw him a party. He's like, why is he being, you know, a jerk? You know, something like that. And I think, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. And that's what I'm not saying. Like it's too complicated. It's just one of those things where it's like, it's a Flintstone movies. It's light. It's fun. It's funny. It's goofy. It's all these things. And, and the writers are just like, listen, we need to have maybe some infidelity, friendship, um, all of those things to get to the slight conflicts. And I just, it just makes me laugh that back then, it, like in a kid's movie, 
these are plot points of like Oscar winning films or like like I said earlier, HBO yeah. prestige oh, dramas oh, oh. that they're 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 mining the the conflict in a kids movie just it just cracks me up. I mean, what's, but it, uh, something it, you watch it, with your kids right now, it's like right, and it was done subtly because yes. you know that scene where. Sharon Stone Holly Berry's leaned over on the desk trying to flirt and heavily get with John Goodman. It doesn't happen. But then when Wilma comes in, it's kind of like she just like, you know, you know, hits him, slaps him on the chest and like, oh, you stop. And like, that could have been much worse, a much worse reaction. But for kids, that's like, I think that would signify like he's doing wrong, you know, you know, something like that. He's being tempted. Well, there's even the conversation following that when. He's like, do you like love your wife? He's like, oh yeah, I think she's like the prettiest. Like, I love her, and she knows that. So, like, there's at least that dialogue there for anybody to be like, huh? Like any kid be like, oh okay, okay, now I understand it. Like, so there's enough there, right? Right? Because deep down, this is the kids' movie. This is for the kids, even though it does focus on adults. Because I mean, the Rebels and the Flintstones do have a kid, Bam Bam and Pebbles, and. You know, they're just there for almost background. There is kind of a side plot of, you know, the rebels adopting Bam Bam, a kid. Uh, But, you know, Bam Bam is literally relegated to just yelling Bam Bam and being strong, just like he is in the show. And Pebbles is kind of there to just serve the child purpose with almost no lines. Uh, They're there to be kidnapped in the end. Do you think that was a mistake to not focus on the children more so, or do you think that everybody really wanted the like the the adult characters? The 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 minute you start focusing on child actors, it can turn poor pretty quickly. So I think the fact that these these two characters were just what they were in the cartoon, why give them any plot? You know, I don't want to not to give um, whoever owns the rights to this any ideas, but I didn't want to see like the origin story of (laughs) Pebbles and Bam Bam. Just have them there as the the side characters that they are. They move the plot to the point just like they're supposed to. And Bam Bam, the only thing I remember from the Flintstones is him having that giant club and yelling Bam Bam and knocking people out and lifting things. And that's exactly what he does. So it works perfect. (laughs) And and there's enough to like for a child to pick up some information from that and seeing this destruction because every child's destructive they like to you know tear up their rooms and throw stuff and things like that and so to see the mom and horror and then see the effects of that can maybe feed some information to a child and so i think i picked up on that i also like when i think about the children i think about the scene where they're on the swing set and she's getting pushed and she does the the lap and then the the, the the parents don't even notice it like they come their head goes back to looking at them they're back to their normal position so uh th- there there's enough again there's enough there for me to be i, I think they're, they're more than just placeholders there's there's just a little a little nugget or here or there to to give them enough uh enough reason to to exist in the film other than just being like hey that character exists in the show we're going to place them in this um and and i did kind of get slightly emotional with bam bam saying dad at the end so there there there's still there's something to them. <laughs> but you bias on that now right <laughs> yes 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 you are <laughs> well what if you don't mind me asking what were, were sure. rose first words rose first words um i think it was mom Okay. 
So that that's what got you. All right, good, good, good. And what were your kids' first words, Dan? I think one was dad, dad, and the other was mama. So yeah. we each we each have our own. The other one. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like that kid better? <laughs> yeah. So I love I love them. I love them both, but I like one a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. All right. So now we have to talk about the writing of this movie because in most reviews back in 1994. It, this was the biggest complaint, you know, was the script, the writing. And so you have Jim Genawine and Stephen D'Souza. So Jim Genawine, um, he wrote Stay Tuned, Richie Rich, Getting Even with Dad in Major League Two, in addition to the Flintstones. He wrote it with Stephen D'Souza, who weirdly and oddly and i just can't figure out why wrote 48 hours commando jumping jack flash the running man die hard one die hard two hudson hawk beverly hills cop three street fighter judge dread and tomb raider the cradle of life also wrote um the flintstones this is a crazy mix of people coming from different aspects of life i feel like who who did awesome who did the bulk of the writing though? Cause these just all seem like people who are like, Oh yeah, he, he did, he did this. Let's uh, hire him to do a rewrite. Like who, who did the, the basic bones of it? You know what? I actually, I'm not sure. I mean, so, I don't, I don't know if it was somebody like, okay, we have this kid friendly movie, but we, it, it's kind of needs a little action. So hire the guy from Die Hard, we go. And it's just like, what's happening. So if, if we're to believe Wikipedia, in eighty in eighty five, it was uh, uh, D'Souza and Richard Donner. Richard Donner was hired to direct a uh, D'Souza script. Okay, so do you yeah. have Richard Donner, Superman guy himself, yeah. Goonies and, himself? And then it was, and then he it was kind of thrown to the side, and they brought in someone else, someone else, someone else, all the way down. Then Steven Spielberg and Amblin got a hold of it, and it looks like. Uh, Rick Moranis was present at some roundtables and later described those scripts with about 18 writers. Eventually, there were at least eight revisions <laughs> of the 35 writers that worked on the script for the Flintstones. The Flintstone eight, as they were known, were submitted to arbitration by the Writers Guild. So there were like 35 people, but it looks like a story credit was given to D'Souza for a... Um, for a story credit, but there were 35 writers who worked on this movie. So the guy who wrote <laughs> Commando and Die Hard and 1 story. and 2 did the story. Does that make any sense, Preston? No, I was just reading one of the blurbs on Rotten Tomatoes, and it says the 32 script writers' idea of a joke is to suffix every name with rock. The opening title announces the film as Steven Spielrock production, and it's downhill from there with an avalanche of rubbish at our heels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, it's the, the writing in like here. Yeah, yeah, the the, the script here is not great and like Preston said earlier John Goodman everybody's doing the best they can with like what they're given and it may have seemed like there was no room like the director who um, I think there was a chance that D'Souza was trying to pull like a today's days DC films thing and like go super dark with the Flintstones 
because there's well, embezzlement, there's infidelity, there's like I mean that could have been the case. Like he could have had a bigger situation. action movie, but then you know you bring in the director Brian yeah. Levant, who did Problem Child Two, who did right. Beethoven, Jingle All the Way, Snow Dogs. Are we there yet? Um, these are a dark script idea, and then thirty five writers later, it's a kids movie. And then yeah, you have a kids movie, <laughs> and you know, I don't know how big. Spielberg was a present on set every day. I mean, it's at Amblin. He probably showed up here and there. I don't know if he was a heavy hand producer. It doesn't seem like it. But then again, you see Kathleen Kennedy's name in here too. <laughs> her, his right hand woman. And uh, I don't know. It There's elements to this that feel Amblin and Spielberg. And there's elements that don't feel like they were a big part of it all the way through. Just because the script is still kind of that bad i mean i mean but in the whole scheme of things i guess it works for the type of movie it is because it does yeah. lay into the silliness but you can see visibly on screen the actors almost cringing at the lines as they read them <laughs> especially early on with john goodman and there's like a a back and forth between him and Barney where, or even his wife too, where I was like, uh, it just doesn't seem like it's flowing as well as some of the comedic bits. Anytime it felt the most like the TV show, I think it's when it was most successful with all those little jokes or just like, just something that felt like it had some of that DNA. Um, but any of that like serious drama stuff, it just felt a little clunky. Right. Cause I don't know if it, mixed well with that um but yeah the script is still one of the worst things i think with this movie um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna talk about the the performances because they did the best they could and it looks like they were having a good time you know yeah. if being even on that set with all the practical effects and the sets that had to be a great time. And you're part of like this national treasure of the Flintstones. It, did, it had to be fun. So with that being said, let's talk about what really works in this movie. And that has to be the production design. That has to be the, the cinematography, um, which let me go into cinematography for a second. So the cinematography, the cinematographer was Dean uh, Kundi. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know who that is, let me break that down to you. Dean Kundi. But, but fair warning, he hasn't done a great movie in like 25 years, but he did some amazing movies before then. Right, right. He did. Like, and we're talking about he worked with John Carpenter at the height of his day, you know, from The Fog, from Escape from New York, from The Thing. Uh, he did Back to the Future, Big Trouble in Little China, Project X, which we did on this show. Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Hook, Jurassic Park, Death Becomes Her. This guy knew what he was doing and the movie looks great and maybe you to, know to maybe me, to me it sounds like spielberg's involvement was just like hey i have the access okay I got, so i got the jurassic park cinematar so i just imagine like the spill the the producer's convo about this was just very like entourage style it's like yeah there's so many things that are problems but we can bandage it all with 
your connections, Stephen. Like you got this really great cinematographer. You got all these uh, special effects and practical effects that you've been a master at. Let's put all that in play, and then here we go. Right. It, it, it's crazy because I guess the last big movie this cinematographer did was Apollo 13. After that, you know, it was the Garfield movie. It was Kippendorf's tribe. Parent Trap. <laughs> Parent Trap. You know, not a lot of stuff <laughs> happening. Uh, I mean, I guess he did one episode of The Mandalorian uh, for this year. Maybe it was the first one. But uh, coming from these crazy movies to the Flintstones, you could see how good this movie looks. Preston, oh, what what do you think about it's like some oh, 30, 35 years later, this movie still visually is striking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like uh, part p- the direction of this film and the way things are framed make me think of something like Men in Black with Barry Sonnenfeld, like how there's things going on in the background. I already talked about the swing set that's going on, but there's there's just like, you can tell that most of the creativity came from the way that they dressed the set, the props that they had, because that's, that's all the eye candy. Like you, you're like, oh, that's a clever thing. Like that's how they do their TV or that's how they ride on a plane. That's how they do their garbage disposal, which I feel like we're going to have to talk about more about that later because that moment really hit me in the heart <laughs> earlier on when you find out the garbage disposal pig thing is uh, out of work and it's just like wants scraps. I was like, oh man, that poor guy. But then he sells out Fred and I was like, okay, fuck him. Um, <laughs> um, that was good God. with that. That's great. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just really neat to see that like they 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 knew where the strengths were, like I said at the top. And so they 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 felt like okay, this is what we can do. We can just kind of um, masquerade this into uh, think making people think that it's a better movie than it really is. But but there really are some really clever bits and that's what really pulled me into the picture. And that's what makes me think, that's what really stands out to me and probably the biggest reason why I like the movies because of all these, how, they, how their lifestyles parallel with ours and like they have so many like, husband and wife jokes and like honest work and things like that. And and so I think this movie deserves more credit for all those little things and it didn't get its credit at the time. All right. Uh, Dan, visually speaking of the movie, watching it now, you know, how does it hold up for you? What do you like I, about I th- it? I think the scene alone, if I was going to show somebody just like how much work and how perfect all the pieces that fit in is um, the bowling scene when he's out with his bowling league and you've got the crab coming down to pick up the pins. Mm -hmm. You've got the bowling balls that are all chiseled. You've got the beer coming out in the giant trough. Um, He does the twinkle toes things and everything. But before he puts his fingers, instead of having the little blower, there's a giant like frog that like moises hand. Yeah. Like moises hand. Like just everything is so real and lived in and looks like it actually exists that it just truly shocks me that they didn't turn this into a theme park of some sort like at Disneyland or Universal Studios or wherever this whoever owns the rights to it how there's not a bedrock why is there not a bedrock bowling alley and restaurant with all these things going on because that 
maybe it was five minutes, that five minutes scene of them out bowling where every single thing that happens gets escalated and it all has a practical effect. Like it all um, was lived in and felt real. And you could tell people took some real care to, to um, play up the puns and everything, just like the cartoon, but really focused on it. And, and it holds up today. It looks just as good and just as fun today okay. for me. Agreed. I think, you know, like even the little minuscule details in Fred Flintstone's office or in their house, you know, just I mean, that cartoon had that. And that's what was a big part of the show. And it translated really good into the movie. And most of this is done practically. There's only what seems like a very minuscule couple of scenes that implore the CGI it's mostly Dino and that um, at the end with the uh, saber tooth. Right, right. Uh, the, t- the pterodactyl. Um, yeah. It, it It's it's really, it, it just looks gorgeous and it still looks gorgeous. And so this movie has not been released since 2014 on home video on Blu-ray, a very early Blu-ray. And it just begs, I think, for a remaster, a 4K a revisit, because visually it looks amazing. Still, the attention to detail in the sets and the props and the practical dinosaur effects just still look amazing. The costumes. And I would be willing to say, like, some of Fred Flintstone's costumes in this, I would see, like, current musicians wearing these to the Grammys. You know, they're just, like, <laughs> balling. You know, like, it just, how have they not incorporated this i feel like you know (laughs) why is lady gaga not worn something like this yet like it makes sense (laughs) and and even talking about all the casting and all things like people today i know there's baggage now with rosie o'donnell but she was fun and like charming in this movie and no she was great she's great in all her movies yeah and people but i mean i she hasn't been in one so long that i forget I feel like every time I see her in a movie, I'm like, oh my gosh, she's she's actually really, really good. And Tarzan, man. She was great yeah. in Tarzan. Tarzan, she, League of Their Own, she was great. Yeah. Yeah. She, These are... She's great, and I always forget it. I always forget how great she is in, in movies. And she was just really, really good in this, in that role. Extremely good in that role. Um, so with the visuals, with the practical effects, um, what what do you think about the music? Because is is <laughs> the music is fun because I mean there's they they play the the theme the Flintstones theme a couple times the original one the brand new one they play like walk like the dinosaur they have the B fifty twos known as the BC fifty twos do a live performance. I I think it's perfect for what it is. Like it was fun to see that, and you know, back then I think I remember the walk the dinosaur. I was like, I need this, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I I liked that they leaned into this like coziness, fun family film, and I think maybe that was maybe Spielberg's like we need to bring that nostalgia back for families watching it because Flintstones. Is it still the day that it's that was the longest running show ever and best reviewed, you know, family set around watching this? And I think they evoked that in this feature film. Yeah. You know, for the most part. So I I I like that they did that. So I mean, I guess, you know, a, a big question, Dan, I'll start with you. I mean, does this does this really truly not? I mean, personally. 
you answer it personally and you can maybe answer it as like a whole, does this hold up? Is this a movie that holds up? Does it, has it gotten better with age? Has it stayed the same? Do you think, would this type of movie fly today? What do you think? Um, well, I'll answer the last question for, I think it would bomb today just based on the way Hollywood works and the way you get people in the seats. But, um, I, it worked for me. Like I, I wouldn't go out and rush out and tell everyone they need to see it or need to watch it, but it would be one of those things like if it's on, it's not bad. And you would really probably enjoy the nostalgia factor. And a lot of the, honestly, a lot of the cute fun things that it does are the things that it excels at. So I think that you, at the end of the 90 minutes, you will leave having smiled more than been like, oh, this is bad or this is corny. And I came away thinking, how have they not done a reboot cartoon? Um, not, not oh, look, here's we're going to go and do it the way that some of the other shows are doing like different backstories, but just honestly, just be like, here's the Flintstones. We have new Flintstones episodes. <laughs> There's going to be... 15 new episodes of the Flintstones in 2024. And right. So I was going to ask, like, do you think it would hold up better now if it were remade as like a Pixar Disney, you know, you know, type of animation or like they're doing with all the Disney stuff, make like a 10 episode Flintstones thing. Like, I'm not sure because I don't know if a live action, if it would work better as a Pixar type of thing. I think it needs to stay cartoon. I think I think if they would did like obviously the fancier 2D animation, but I'm afraid even if they made it the fancier 3D stuff that my kids watch sometimes, um, it would be, you know, a, or a Pixar movie. I, I don't think it would have the same charm that it does as, as a 2D. Okay, I I think it would like because Scooby Doo does it. There's so many different movies and shows for Scooby Doo mm-hmm. and it it's been doing like the same type of type of stuff, but it's been incorporating things that have been happening today over the past like 60, 50 years or so. Um and so I think it could do the same thing. So uh, yeah, you may be on to something with saying like I think it should try to do the same style of animation that it did back in the day. And people, I mean, it does it like the Simpsons, they haven't really progressed very far with this animation style or anything. Like, there are people are there, South Park, like, there's people go to those shows because they're clever, they're funny, they talk about right. today in really comical ways. And I think that could be done through the Flintstones in a more lighthearted Mr. Rogers kind of way where it's a little more approachable. Right. Um, so I think. I think it could be done like that. I'd be interested to see like what would the Flintstones have to say about this going on in our lives or like, like a parallel situation or social something. media. Yeah. How would they spoof social media? How would they spoof the popularity of sports today? Or like, you know, they, even this movie had the cable news networks and all the like news coverage. So, I mean, yeah. there's enough there for them to make some really good jokes with, but I, I just, personally would would want to see it in 2d and i feel like um before hbo max took all the looney tunes off of their their streamer i watched some of the old looney tunes um with my kids and my son was just like that coyote getting smashed 
is one of the funniest things that's you know there's no dialogue in it but him just watching it and the visual storytelling of the coyote and the roadrunner he was dying laughing and when i first turned on he was like i don't want to watch this i want to watch you know ben 10 or something that has all more lights and 3d and all this crazy stuff and i got him to watch it and he was totally into it um so i think there's i think that there's a, an audience for it out there somewhere yeah, I th- I yeah. think so too. I think so too. Um, we need we need a good balance because we got Bluey to give us all our life lessons and everything and make us feel, uh, embrace kindness in the world. But then we can still have the whole Three Stooges, Tom and Jerry right. style of visual storytelling to because we we all still laugh at people getting hurt and it's, it's still funny. funny. Yeah, ah, that's why Jack. That's why Jackass is so popular. Sometimes yeah. you just want to watch someone get hit by something, and cartoon is a lot safer. But it's just yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Like his alarm, his alarm clock is a ball falling yeah. on his head. It's, it's universal. It's universal comedy, and with all the puns they could do for the Stone Age, I, I don't know why they can't bring it back. Right now, they should. Um, like even even some of the sorry, um, what? even some of the things that maybe wouldn't fly today like we probably wouldn't see Halle Berry dressed like that in the camera <laughs> and then the music and everything but what's so good about I this would... movie is that that even though it shows all those things they make her a smart character she's even Fred Flintstone says like you're you you're you're smarter than you than people uh, believe that you are or something like that like there's some line there um, so I think I think uh, it could still get made today, but yeah, I don't think that the the live action and all that would maybe warrant to go make all those efforts to make it possible. I think it would probably thrive in that 2D setting. Yeah, it for sure, for sure. Um, let, let's talk about a little bit about the legends, the, the veteran legends that were part of the movie because... Not only do you have Elizabeth freaking Taylor in this movie having a ball, <laughs> but you have people like Jonathan Winters, one of the OGs of stand-up comedy. You have Harvey Corman doing the voice of Dick DeBird, which we have to talk about. You have Mel Blank, you know, the the Looney Tunes godfather doing the voice of Dino. Um, you have Elizabeth J- Daly, known as E.G. Daly, doing the voice of Bam Bam. E.G. Daly does, you know, Tommy Pickles from Rugrats and the Powerpuff Girls and everything else. Uh, even even you have William Hanna and Joseph Barbera uh, in the film. You have Jay Leno, you know, the big guy at the time, and Sam Raimi for some odd reason. Uh, it's just, do you think just because it's the Flintstones, it's Spielberg? Like they were like, yes, we need all of these legends, you know, at the end of their careers come aboard this. I think they grew up with it or came up when it was popular and they saw the value in the comedy of it and being part of it was probably a staple. I know it was a staple in Hollywood, but the cartoon, you know, whatever they call it, revolution back then with the Jetsons and Flintstones and all those things. I mean, I'm sure Jay Leno grew up watching those things. I'm sure Elizabeth Taylor knew people involved in it. And to be a part of it like that, probably for their grandchildren or great grandchildren and reintroduce it to a new generation was probably. And you look at the power of the cast 
thing and you know steven spielberg and all that sort of stuff the opportunity to be part of a production that big with that many good names and reintroduce like an american classic to a new audience i'm sure it was just an easy yes for them yeah right in the same in the same way that like john landis and joe dante and toby hooper and clive barker were all in sleepwalkers because steve because stephen king wrote the movie and so it was just like a special thing. Like they're, they're, they're all friends. They're aware of each other. And I think, yeah, exactly what Dan said. They all grew up watching that and they just felt like they wanted to be a part of it, contribute it. Cause they, I mean, they didn't know how it was all going to turn out. Um, no, it, but it, yeah. it's, it's great to see Elizabeth Taylor, you know, before her health decline, really have a great time in this movie. Like it oh. really is. I was like, it's just so good. Oh yeah. Um, she was hamming it up. She was having a blast. She was, like, and like they even poke fun at her marriages because she's yeah. constantly talking about you could always get married again, you know, something yeah. like that. It's pretty funny. Um, and to cross promote a little bit of my bloody podcast, we just talked about um on my bloody podcast a movie called Phenomena, and that movie um has an emotional story arc with an animal um uh, known <laughs> as Inga the chimpanzee. And I would say in this movie, Dictabird has an emotional story arc through the whole movie. <laughs> like what, like Dictabird is, uh, wait, 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 okay, okay, Dan, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? No, you're when, you said, your... when you said Phenomenon, I thought you were talking about the John Travolta movie. <laughs> we, we we made that joke. I don't know if yeah, you did and I was just like, like, I was just like, wait, why was that on my bloody podcast? <laughs> okay, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, Dictabird, Dick yeah, Dictabird was legit. I mean, he he's a friendly bird. He doesn't take any shit. He gets shot at. Like I, it's a whole thing. <laughs> um, what what do you think of Dick Because I think that character is in it more so than even the kids of the of the parents, yeah. Pebble and Bam Bam, and has like a major story arc. And like Inga the chimpanzee, you feel for the bird, right? Dick the bird was the D'Souza addition to the story that. That bird was like part of Commando. Like if they didn't, if they didn't have all these thirty-five writers rewrite this to a kids thing, Dick the Bird was gonna be like have a bomb strapped to his chest when he goes into that meeting in the quarry. Like it was gonna get real dark real fast. And Dick the Bird was practical effects the entire time, walking no, like. Was, yeah, for them to put that much um, emotional weight of the movie in a practical Dick the Bird was. It worked for me, but just thinking about it in the context of all the other things that were just brought up, it makes me laugh. I can't help it. I like that character a lot. Like, that is a very underrated character in this movie, I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a hilarious character named Dick DeBird, but I think it, may, it makes sense. Oh, so good. All right. So, Preston, tell me, what are some of your favorite puns, jokes in the movie? <laughs> um there's a good one there's a nice because we did wild wild west last time on this podcast and we were talking about the will smith and and kenneth branagh kind of like trying to one-up each other there's a nice one between fred flintstone and elizabeth taylor's character as the mother-in-law where they're kind of like 
she's doing a whole, whole like fat thing with him, like fat shaming him and saying like, uh, uh, what did she say? It's like, uh, the only thing that Fred has given you is plenty of shade and yes. stuff like that. So um, I love their whole banter with one another. Jeez. Um, oh, just I, I I wrote them all down. I was trying to like jot down notes. Uh, there's one with uh, Dick DeBird <laughs> toward the end that I really loved when they he <clears throat> Fred Flintstone pretty much hands over the bird to Kyle McLaughlin's character, and then uh, it, it's obvious like something violent's gonna happen with the bird. <laughs> And then he says something like, uh, "This uh, I should have sided with Disney. This never would have been." Yeah, I should have happened. signed on with Disney. It like almost <laughs> like looking at the camera, <laughs> like I should have signed with Disney. That never that. And that was great. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, good, good little tongue cheek joke there. So yeah, those that, that are my two favorite. Um, but yeah, plenty of great rock puns and things like that all throughout the film. What about but, you, Dan? Yeah, I, I like little things like, um, what was it, Rock Donald's, um, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. at the time, McDonald's in this movie, like they did a whole Happy Meal set. They were given away. They did the toy thing with this. Collector's There's items the, now. Yeah, just, you know, things, things, little things like that are what honestly what made me laugh harder than than anything else. And I, I'm, not, I'm usually not a sucker for the puns, but they cracked me up. I mean. Wasn't there like Tar Wars was at the drive at the drive-in drive-in at the drive-in? Just little the sh- even something as stupid as um the Chevrock station instead of Chevron. <laughs> it's, just, it's just also I was just like I, I appreciated the the commitment to it and it, it made me laugh. And then just even going back to how the world worked, everything made me laugh. Um, how they served the beer, how yeah. they did the bowling, how the cars. I mean. One of the places that I could have mined for comedy a lot more is the fact that the cars are all foot operated whenever whenever um uh the rubbles leave Fred's house and they're kind of moving pretty fast down the street. And I just wish it was like him like peeling out, like driving away in anger. Just little opportunity notes is just his little feet moving under there. Yeah. Just plenty of little things like that. Yeah, I, I liked all those too. What would you say, Preston? <laughs> the the newspaper like delivering the newspaper they did the whole history of part of the world or part one where they right the ten commandments and, and drop in it and so the like fifteen commandments these ten commandments yeah, 15, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like, oh, the other part was uh Barney um when he chiseled his note to Fred and he has to get up and read it and it's heavy blocks that he's like moving <laughs> to read notepad. Just, yeah. his notepad is just thick like three inch rock of pages and he's chiseling his notes just so much stupid stuff but it made me smile every time so i liked all of those of course i liked when john goodman thought about his mother-in-law being eaten by the dinosaur and he laughs he's like oh no that's for later um but did y'all did y'all find did y'all get the godfather reference in the movie once you say it i'm gonna be mad that i didn't realize it (laughs) probably did in the moment but there's a lot to keep up with there was so um it's when fred and wilma are mad at each other and they're both in their house and she starts throwing all the dishes on the floor she's yelling at him that's a godfather scene with sonny and his wife when she finds out about the infidelity she just starts Uh. throwing everything on the ground all the glass starts throwing stuff at him and it's like the same movements 
in mm. this Flintstones as it was in The Godfather. And I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> that's The Godfather. She just she's in like a panic in a meltdown. And she, instead of just yelling at him, she's just like breaking all the glass, their, their china and the glasses and the plates and the TV, you know, like that happened in The Godfather. And I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder who wrote that. One of the 35 <laughs> writers that yeah, wrote yeah. that. But uh, if you go back in that scene, like if you type in that scene into YouTube Godfather and then watch that scene in Flintstones, it's like almost verbatim. And I was just watching that and just loving that sequence that they got that in there. So I, yeah, this movie is a lot of fun. It's crazy that it has a 21%. And again, that's what this podcast is here for, is to you have to revisit these movies because you might get more out of it later in life. Is this something that your kids would enjoy? Like, did Ro or did your kids, Dan, watch this with you? They did not because, I, you know, I like to dip into these movies late at night after the family's asleep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, they haven't. But I would sh- I would show it to them for sure. Um, I think that they probably enjoy it. Yeah, uh, Ro loves... <clears throat> it's been a while since he's seen this because we watched it maybe a year, year and a half ago. And so I was watching this on my own. I usually watch it on my phone with like an earbud in so I can still do my tasks around the house. But he kept looking at my phone and be like, "What? what is this movie? Oh, I think I recognize this. So I think he'd be into it. I just thought of another vi- uh, visual gag that... Uh, was funny just based off of dancing late night it's when uh Kyle McLaughlin when they're doing the test everybody all, all the workforce is doing the test to see if they can become the VP of the company and he's like <laughs> looking at essentially a rock porn magazine because they're that's <laughs> <laughs> oh, good it's oh, fun that was good that reminds me of that um that porn magazine and Robin Hood men in tights for the, were for Blinken, the the blind one. It was like the the 3D one. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Cause what came out for I guess Flintstones came out first before Robin Hood Men in Tights. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah that, that that's a that's a good joke. Yeah this movie is great. Uh I think it it's solid. Men in Tights it's, came out first. Men in Tights came out first. So maybe there was that uh that element to it. Um so to to wrap it up, what what do y'all what, what what do y'all think? Is this a recommendation? Is this something somebody should seek out to find, rent it um, nowadays? I I would tell anyone, yeah, if it's on, don't be scared of it because it's a 1994 movie based on the Flintstones. I think that there's enough there to um, make it enjoyable, especially if you like silly puns. Right, and it's I mean it's Spielberg literally directly after. Sp- Jurassic Park. It's yeah. oh, I found here. I wrote this down. Um, I found Roger Ebert's review of it from way back when it came out. He said the the thing that I think we've been saying this whole entire time. The frame is filled with delightful and inventive notions, all based on the idea modern America might somehow be reconstructed out of rocks. Just watching it is fun. Following the plot, not so much fun. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. Like the whole movie is fun to watch. Is like just don't sink too deep into the plot of the freaking Flintstones. Just enjoy it for what it is and you will enjoy it. And maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was the 35 writers they had that convoluted a much simpler story. 
you yeah. have the guy from Die Hard 1 and 2 trying to write a crazy action movie and they're just like, no, 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 no. We need something more viable, something more family friendly. Dick the Bird's a snitch. Dick the Bird's a We got to get him out of bedrock before they kill him. That was the original plot. Oh my God. We need to bring back Dick the Bird. I feel like if somebody asks you what kind, what movie prop do you want from a movie just one. I feel like I'm going to stop saying Hal 9000 from 2001 Space Odyssey and say Dick to Bird from Flintstones. Because <laughs> that thing's amazing. And then you could get uh, Stewie from Family Guy to do the voice. Right? Well, yeah, that's uh, McFarlane, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, that would be great. I think that would be be wonderful. So, uh, Preston, you, you, you'd agree watch this movie find it seek it out yeah yeah harmless family entertainment I, I i would say i think it's perfectly enjoyable for what it is i don't think it's a like g- please go to your voodoo account and purchase this for twenty dollars i think if it's because right now it's currently on stars if you have a subscription but yeah. if you i think i want to say like when we agreed to do this it was like available on all these things Tubi, like, Tubi yeah. and Voodoo it was available on and then it wasn't yeah yeah then it wasn't it's crazy so yeah I had to do the the free seven-day trial for the stars subscription <laughs> through but I did, Amazon. Then I, immediately, I immediately canceled it yeah yeah well I'm waiting to figure out what we're gonna do for next week before That's I true. cancel it so uh That's probably but, but, but but yeah if you want to go that path do it otherwise maybe wait and hopefully have your just have your fingers crossed that they do like a 4k because it, it, it does it does warrant it uh I, I think as brian said and as we said like it looks really good and there's a lot of things that are still very funny and timeless about it and yeah if you don't tune so much into like some of the darker aspects or uh i think which are very easy to tune out i think you'll have a good time with it and i think it's better than what people remember or I think it's time for you to to discover it. Agreed, 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 agreed. Uh, it, 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 there's just something magical about it that's fun. Uh, I, I I recommend it, and it's weird. I feel like the powers that be are listening to us at some point in time, and they're like, they're doing this. It might become popular. Let's take it off and make everybody buy it. <laughs> yes, please, please. Like I, uh, I I hope at some point we do the. I guess it's the prequel, uh, Viva Las Vegas, because I remember them doing like a universal joke at the very beginning where they say like, did y'all just see those letters go by for the universal thing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I I hope we do that one because I think that one's not bad either uh, from what I remember, but it's been a long time. Viva Rock Vegas. Yeah, we'll let you know if we do that at a certain point because it does not star anybody from the original film. So... Um, we'll, 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 I'm sure we will get to that in fear and loathing. Not even Dick to bird. Yeah. Not even Dick to bird, <laughs> Dick to bird we, for the win. It's, we got a nice little Martian replacement, uh, played by a great actor. Yes, that's true. <laughs> um, so that is fear and loathing and cinema podcast. Thank you for this wonderful episode. Thank you for listening. Um, I am Brian Clubber. I am joined by Prestone <laughs> Barta and the Dan of Time. 
for the Flintstones. You can find Preston at Blu-ray Dad on Instagram. You can find him at Preston Barda on Twitter. YouTube, watch his interviews. Read his reviews at the Denton Record Chronicle. Read them at freshfiction.tv. And you can find both Preston and I at My Bloody Podcast as well, talking about horror movies. I'm Brian Kluger. You can find me at highdefdigest.com, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. And you can find Dan Moran on this podcast. We are going to. I've got got something in the works. By next week, I'll be ready to go. All right. I'll be back in the world. Yes. Yes. I'm excited. Yes. Yes. (laughs) He's he's coming back. He's coming back. All my bad takes. Good, good, good. Uh, and uh, we will we will be back next week with another episode. Thank you for listening. As always, we love you.